Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. We're back here on the first team. I'm Joe DeLeon. Joining me as always is former NFL and college QB, Matt Sims, also founder of the Sims Complete QB with us as well. Irish Breakdown recruiting analyst, Ryan Roberts. Today, we've got one last shot, one last shot to throw out our crazy predictions for the college football season before week zero comes around. We're also just going to talk a little bit about the games uh, because it's been so long. We've been so devoid of football and we have an opportunity to share our thoughts, what we think is going to happen this weekend for a pretty pedestrian slate of warm-up games for three big Power 5 teams. Guys, I'm going to start us off, though, here talking bold predictions. We're each going to pitch one thing, one crazy thing that we think could happen, whether it is national championship related, Heisman Trophy related, uh, conference finalist related. Mine is recruiting related. I'm going to start us off with mine first. I want to talk about what Auburn has been doing on the recruiting trail. I feel like Auburn has been a little bit of an afterthought with what they can accomplish because of the state that Brian Harson left them in. They were a mess and he was underperforming in recruiting. He was doing a horrible, horrible job for a team that can be one of the premier programs in college football. Hugh Freeze takes over. Obviously, it's a joke that everyone talks about his recruiting tactics, but he has already been pulling high four stars, five star recruits, getting guys to flip from Georgia. Matt's laughing because he's ready to make a comment about Hugh Freeze. But he has been doing some amazing, amazing things on the recruiting trail. I think that if there is a team to really thrust themselves back into the spotlight quickly, to do an Urban Meyer-esque turnaround for what he did at, at Florida in his time there. I know I'm not throwing out a lot of really good names when I'm talking about you freeze, but it's fitting. But my prediction is that I think that Auburn finishes the year with a top five recruiting class right now in 247 Sports. They're at 14. Matt, I, I can see that you're trying to hold yourself back here, so I'll let you chime in first on this. No, no, I just honestly was more so, I guess, the choice of, uh, of wording that you use, uh, their tactics. I, I just found that funny. Um, okay. But, you it's know, very, I'm it's very right tactical. There. Very tactical. Yeah, no I know. Oh, and, right. You know, it's questionable and it's questionably immoral at times as well. And, uh, you know, Hugh Freeze at the end of the day is a very good football coach. Uh, he knows how to coach people. He knows how to coach the game of football. He's very well-versed. He's has tons of experience and success everywhere that he's been, uh, even what he most recently did at Liberty. Um, and he's he really does have an eye for talent. And, um, you know, the biggest thing is just making sure that he turns off that eye for talent outside of uh, the football ranks. But, um, you know, I do like that take a lot. I do think that Auburn will have a, a little bit of a, a rejuvenation in their program, which is always good for the SEC West to be, you know, as balanced as the East, especially now that Tennessee is rising in the ranks too and being more consistent. I'm selling this take. Are we doing buying and selling to the section? No, we're, we're not. Just, we're, not. Ahead, we're not. You just did anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, Joe, it is it is a hot take, man. I like it. I mean, you're like you said, t- t- number 14 overall right now, getting up to number five. Like, that's a big jump, obviously, right? Yeah. I think 
What I will say here is that Auburn is definitely going to trend in the right direction under Hugh Freeze. Because Matt hit on one point is that, yes, it's the butt of jokes, and it's a pretty easy joke to make. But Hugh Freeze is a good coach. Like, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you can't go yeah. to Liberty and turn Liberty around the way he did and just be like, no, that guy can't coach, right? Like, he, yeah. we could talk about the money and improper benefits and everything, but, like, he's not – he doesn't have, like – it's not like he's just paying everyone to come play at Liberty for him, right? Like, that's just – And now it's legal to do that, so he's good. Exactly. <laughs> Right. He's playing within the rules now. Like it's not improper anymore. It's just it's it's just benefits at this point, I guess. But I mean, yes, <laughs> Auburn is going to head in the right direction. I would sell the top five. I know we're not doing a buying or selling, but I'm still selling it because it's a dumb. T- I'm just kidding. But I think that Auburn is going to be in a much better direction under Hugh Freeze because Brian Harson was just was not a good fit, man. Like he was a good fit at Boise State. That was a great fit for him. Auburn was not a good fit for Brian Harson. And I, I already look at one big thing for me just to talk about some of the names. Uh, the main thing that I am excited about is the fact that he's keeping as many of these in-state guys there as possible. And you look at the top players in this 2024 class that are currently committed, all of them are top players from the state of Alabama. I'm talking about Perry Thompson, who is a five-star wide receiver. I'm tar- talking about Demarcus Riddick, who is a f- high four-star athlete, uh, Joseph Phillips, a four-star linebacker who's another Alabama player. The fact that they're keeping these guys local is always going to be an important play for um, setting the groundwork for success. Because if you can always pull those top players from the state in a state where you're competing with the University of Alabama in Nick Saban, that's an accomplishment. I also, the thing is, you know, again, separate from the things that he was removed from Ole Miss for, we're not going to talk about that stuff. We all know what he did. Um, he still is, as you just said, you were saying there, his performance at Liberty is an indicator that without the nonsense tactics, he's still a really good recruiter. He comes from the Ed Orgeron School of Recruiting. Uh, there was a really good book that I read about when they were both at Ole Miss that it just kept mentioning about how Hugh Freeze, before he was a big name, that like he was Ed Orgeron's best recruiter and all the things that he did. Matt, I'm curious because your name showed up in that book and I, I sent you a screenshot of that. Um did, did you were you recruited at all by Hugh Freeze or was it did anyone on that coaching staff recruit you at Ole Miss? Ed Ogeron did recruit me. Yes, he did okay. on multiple occasions, and I was great to, to meet with Ed Ogeron and you know and all that. And <laughs> uh, but he was, he was a great dude, and he was a very good recruiter. Um, it was very easy to feel comfortable with him, uh, person to person, when you're sitting there at the table mm. with him. And uh, I, I have met Hugh. In person on two occasions, I, I never really got to like talk to him uh, in great detail. Um, but you could kind of get that sense, though, too, that he was a very good people person. He was really good at just mm-hmm. talking and and really conversing with you and, and kind of making it uh, a very just uh, simple man to man conversation, so to speak. Especially too when that recruiting process is, uh, I feel like so inflated with so many other things and auxiliary things that people are thinking about. I think those two gentlemen, especially Ed, because I had direct uh, conversations with him, did a really good job of just kind of almost dumbing it down, making it super simple, and you know, allowing uh, himself to almost be in a in a sense of being slightly vulnerable, which I think is pretty cool, and I think that's why he was so effective as a recruiter. 
Hey, do you guys remember in the same cycle when he got Laquan Treadwell, J- Laramie Tunsil, and Robert Kimdichie, and everyone's like, I wonder how he's doing this. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. We're moving on to the next take. Um, Matt, I want to go with you here. He got me a, fr- Yours- a few free meals when he was recruiting me too. Yeah. Free meals, nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Matt, let's go to your your bold prediction for the 2023 season. I was talking to you before the show that I thought that this was interesting, and if there's going to be a year that this happens – it's going to be 2023 before we get to the expanded playoff. But what is your pick here for your bold prediction? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, I was thinking about this for the past day, you know, as far as what was that bold prediction for this season. And really, I kind of kept coming back to that same thing. You know, there's just a lot of uncertainty across the country, especially at the most important position at quarterback, at some of these, you know, major colleges that we think will still put, make a push for that college football playoff. I think that this is the year that, you know, we will absolutely see a national champion this season with one loss. I think that there is a year to have it where we potentially could have a national championship that has two L's by the end of the season. And that's just because I feel like the Big Ten and the SEC, you know, there's just a lot of question marks at the biggest position on the field. And I think some of these teams will match up better with others, um, mm. you know, and that's where I think there will be a little more turnover and more turmoil in the regular season this season. And it'll really be about who can just bounce back and be able to just double down and focus after some of these big losses and not let the season get away from them. Because I do think that each team in the college football playoff this year will have at least one and not shocked if the national championship has two L's by the end of this year. I do think that this season's going to have a higher level of parity up top. I would agree with that 100 yeah. percent because, like you said, Matt, there's it's just a kind of a volatile landscape this year. I mean, again, we've talked about it before, but Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, all having new quarterbacks, like that's a conversation piece, right? Like there's some uncertainty up top. Can Ohio State fight back against Michigan that they haven't been able to do, obviously, at the end of the last two seasons? You know, is there a Big Ten winner that has one to two losses potentially getting to that Big Ten championship game? Can What's the SEC ultimately going to look like? That's a big question mark right now, you know, because mm-hmm. I feel like Georgia is a team that I think is going to be good. But outside of that, it's like, is LSU going to win the East? Is it going to be Alabama as kind of a resurgence? Is there going to be a dark horse that gets thrown in there? A lot of uncertainty in college football. I mean, I'm going to talk about the Pac-12 in a second as well as far as like I think they can eat each other up a little bit, you know, and kind of mm. knock each other down a couple pegs in certain spots. So I think that parity can definitely exist in this version of college football because there's a lot of quarterback uncertainty. And there's some of the traditional powers that we've talked about the last few years that have some question marks at some key positions and can some key spots, which are going to be interesting to navigate. Yeah, again, I think that this this – take is more realistic than people want to acknowledge. I think that we have no history of getting a two-loss team into the playoff, so everyone would want to go like, oh, this is crazy. But if we're being honest with ourselves, out of any of the years that the four-team playoff has existed, I don't know if we've ever been in a position where more could go wrong for the best teams. That's my best way of putting it. That is going to lead to the eventual parity where maybe Carson Beck is just really slow to get going. and Maybe they get eaten up and upset by somebody. We saw the way that they played last year against Missouri. I think that it's certainly plausible for them to lose a game. It's possible for Ohio State to suffer two losses throughout the season if they don't play well against Notre Dame. There are so many opportunities, I think, for teams where 
they could get knocked off and upset more than we've ever really had. I feel like last year we did have a lot of dominance to the point where it was a lot of one-loss teams, and that was where we, we we kind of finalized. But there are so many uncertainties that I feel like we've haven't had in a long time. We haven't had this much parity. It's always just been Alabama's at top, Georgia's at top, but we could be in a position where there could be some some separation, and again, a lot more teams in that discussion. I, I think that's where I bring up teams like I'm sorry to cut you off, Ryan, but just to kind of go off of that thought really quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where I see like a, a a Penn State team, you know, or a Michigan or Ohio State, you know, potentially losing in the Big Ten championship, right? Or I mean, excuse me, or or the SEC in the same sense of whoever losing in that Big Ten SEC championship game and then still getting the bid to go to the college football playoff and then having a favorable matchup in that first semifinal match, winning that one, and then, you know, hey, when you get to the final dance, who knows? So that's where I feel like one of these teams, you know, can have that blunder and maybe the championship game uh, Mm -hmm. in their division, but then still end up winning the uh, college football playoff. Yeah, and I, I would just add, like, I feel like there's a lot of teams this year that are like the the could-be dark horses, right? Like, we always talk about Texas every single year. Washington's a team. Florida State's a team. Penn State is a team, right, where you're yeah. saying they've been close-ish, but, like, is this the year that they're finally able to take it over top? So if there's uncertainty with Alabama, if there's uncertainty at the quarterback position at Ohio State, for instance, what teams are going to rise to that conversation? And if they do rise – are they rising in dominance? I, I wouldn't necessarily mm. bet on that, right? Like as far as if Washington makes the playoffs, it, well, I'll get to them in a second. But if there's a couple teams that in these situ- scenarios where I just look at it and say, they're not going to – if they be, have a playoff run, I don't think they get there unscathed, right? Like there's going to be mm. some some turmoil and some, some drawbacks to each one of these resumes that I think we need to kind of understand and to, to, uh, to take a deeper look at, obviously. Absolutely. And I think the lack of experience at the most important position on the field will play a big factor in some of these rivalry games at the end of the year where, you know, just not maybe being quite comfortable in the environment and having enough snaps under their belt, you know, is really going to maybe be the difference between a win or a loss late in the season, especially in December. Yeah, I know there's there's a lot of uncertainty at the long snapper position this year. Very important. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, you led in a little bit there, Ryan, on uh, Pac-12. I think that this is also a really interesting take where yeah. I'm, we might actually be able to make the conversation for whoever wins the Pac-12 if they end up this happening. Maybe they're in that conversation to make the playoff. They probably won't get in. But what is your prediction here for the Pac-12? I think that the Pac-12 is so top-heavy this year, and I think it extends a little further from the depth perspective at the top than it has in recent years, that I think that they're going to cannibalize each other, to be very honest. like I just I think that the Pac-12, the winner potentially, could have three losses of the Pac-12 championship game. I really do think that we could get there because I look at the team up to, uh, teams up top and I say – one, I don't think there's one team that's like clearly better than the rest. I don't think I think there's a high level of parity there. You could legitimately right now convince me that the University of Washington was going to win the Pac-12 this year. You could legitimately co- convince me that Oregon is going to win the Pac-12. You should you could also con- convincingly tell me that Utah is going to win it for the third straight year because it's literally happens, right? You could you could right. convince mm. me that there are a couple of schools here. USC is one that I'm not talking about enough, right? Washington State is kind of a little bit of a sleeper team. This conference is going 
this is why it's very unfortunate with the whole super conference thing, right? And realignment stuff is that I feel like it's pulling away from the fact that like Pac-12 football is going to be pretty fun this season, right? Like yeah. it's going to be really, really fun. But yet all we're talking about is like teams going to the big 12 and the teams going to the big 10 and the spurging of this conference. But in reality, 2023 version of the Pac-12 is probably going to be the most highly contested conference up top. Like that's where I think it is. I think that Washington, I think that Utah, I think USC, I think that Oregon, like all good football teams, but they're not so much better than their counterparts that I think that a team's going to go into the conference championship game at 12 and 0 or even 11 and 1. I think we could be looking at 10 and 2 versus a 9 and 3 team on both sides or on, at, at top of these brackets, right? And then they cannibalize each other. I really think that could happen mm. because I just don't think there's a lot of separations. There's a lot of good football teams, but not much separation at the top, in my opinion. That's a great point because I think the Pac-12, as far as just a, a season of anticipation, I think I'm most excited about that conference more than any other conference this year. I would say that it's Pac-12, then the Big Ten, and then the SEC. Because I feel like the SEC, you know, we kind of know a few of the players. I don't think there will be as many surprises in the SEC this year. I guess mm-hmm. really the biggest thing will be like, can Texas A&M live up to the expectations? Can Auburn, with Hugh Freeze now, steal a, a game or two, which will allow him to get that top five recruiting rank by you know beating a Texas A&M or playing an Alabama really tough? But the Pac-12, I think those matchups are phenomenal. And that quarterback play, there is no doubt. There is going to be absolutely phenomenal, experienced quarterback play in that conference. And I think that's that's why you feel that way. And I love that take, Ryan. I think that's awesome. And I want to take this a step further, though. You're talking about how there's not that much separation in their counterparts. I'm actually going to flip this this conversation on its head a little bit, where I think that all of the top four teams have significantly glaring weaknesses that could all hold them back. That's why I really think yeah. that this take is is realistic to happen. I 100% agree that they're they're capable of cannibalizing themselves. And what is going to lead to that is the fact that if each time that these teams, they all get opportunities to play one another, and then they'll get the opportunity to play in the Pac-12 championship game that they can then expose each other's weaknesses each time they play one another. So like USC is poorly coached defensively. Does that get corrected and fixed? Oregon has not been consistent when having to play in their biggest games. Can Dan Lanning get these guys prepared to play against their biggest opponents? Or are they just going to beat the crap out of the low part of their schedule? With a new offensive coordinator. Yes. With a new offensive coordinator. Washington, I love their defensive line, but like, what does the rest of that defense look like? And then Utah, Cam Rising's hurt every other game. He might not even play against Florida. So we have so many concerning, massive weaknesses with all of these teams, despite being elite and some of the best in college football. That is what could lead to this happening, which is why I really like this, this take. The most important two stats, I think, in the Pac-12 this season will be this. Quarterbacks, sacks, hurries, and pressures – and turnovers. I think those are the two things that just if if these defenses can just uh, affect the quarterback and then the turnover battle. Who wins the turnover battle on a lot of these situations? And that's where I think it's going to be very interesting because you're right. Washington does have an edge with being able to get after the passer with their front four, whereas USC going to have to be a little bit more creative with their defensive uh, strategy and play calling to create havoc for the quarterback. So that's where it's going to be really you know a, just an important aspect of of each individual matchup between these teams. Who can cause turnovers and who can affect the quarterback most regularly? 
And I didn't even mention Oregon State, who also won 10 games last year that we never even talked right. about, which is just pretty funny. So it's funny. Which I'm is not, awesome. I'm not, yeah. I'm not holding my breath for DJ Uyunglele. Oh, man, he's better than uh, Gustafsson, whoever played for them last year. I don't know, man. I don't know. They won with a conversation look, of something Gustafsson and Chance Nolan last year. I was all in on him last year, DJU. And when I get burned once, I'm turning my back on you. So that's, you're, you're that's that spiteful hey, ex-girlfriend, DJ. man. You're a spiteful ex-girlfriend. Keep balling, DJ. Don't worry. All right. Don't worry. Joe's got a Campbell shirt on right now. Okay, <laughs> Campbell, Damn. the, the Camels, right. baby. I love it. D- no, DJ, but... DJ threw four more touchdown passes than your Heisman frontrunner, Jaden Daniels, did last year. So it's, Ooh. you know. Uh, not a Heisman, not a Heisman frontrunner. Settle, settle, settle down. I had him <laughs> at number three. Um, yeah. I want to talk about, we've got four more minutes left here on the show. Week zero, as I said, uh, is coming up. We've got a couple of games. Uh, Ryan and I have scouting assignments that we've got to watch. Uh, which I'm really excited to watch. I, I think I have UTEP, UTEP, uh, Louisiana. I got to double check which game that I have. But oh, UTEP Jacksonville State, which is just a terrible football game. Oh no, uh, it'll be but great. There's, be great. There's three premier games. I just kind of want to get your guys like, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Uh, USC plays San Jose State. Notre Dame plays Navy in Dublin, um, and Vanderbilt plays Hawaii. So Matt, first. Uh, anything that you're looking for this weekend, anything that you're excited about now that college football's back? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just fun I, for the season to start. I mean, it's really like no expectations really out of the games this weekend other than the fact that just, you know, fall is here, college football has started, and, and now the real drama begins because all the stuff that we predicted this offseason, it's all BS. It doesn't mean anything, and, and now we really get to see who uh, – who really did well in the recruiting class? Who is actually going to make a difference on the field for these players, you know, mm-hmm. live and in person? And uh, and I'm also curious to see just Notre Dame, the steps that they have taken, you know, both offensively and defensively. And and obviously their new quarterback, how he adjusts to that environment, that pressure of being the Notre Dame quarterback, uh, I think is a real thing, especially because he has high expectations. So uh, a lot of fun storylines and just excited for, uh, you know, the ball to get started so we can uh, actually start to dissect how the game is actually played. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be glued to the Notre Dame game, obviously. They're playing out in Dublin, Ireland, 2.30 on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So it's not a sexy game as far as playing a Navy team that wasn't very good last year. But I think you get a little bit of taste of what Sam Hartman looks like in a Notre Dame uniform. And it's yeah. just fun to get back to college football, man. Notre Dame hasn't had a Week 0 game in recent years. So just to get that started, the juice is flowing. You get to see the Heisman Trophy winner as well play San Jose State. So, like, that's cool, I guess, right? So, it'll be a fun opening weekend, I think. I'm excited to watch San Jose State upset USC. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, yeah, I think that what, what was talked about here is really important, that you get two teams with warm-up games, but at the same time, opportunities to really show what questions can be answered. Like Siobhan Cordero is a a slippery quarterback for San Jose state. So you might have this opportunity for USC to show, Hey, we're not playing around defensively this year. We got all these defensive linemen. We've got all these linebackers. We're going to come to play and we're going to hold them under 20 points. And we're going to really prove that we're going to do this uh, on a week to week basis in the PAC 12. And I think you guys also hit it with, with, Notre Dame. Uh, I said this on another show that the Navy game has always quietly been an indicator of how good Notre Dame can be during a season. The years that they've lost or the years that they've played them way too closely have been usually their most underwhelming years. But the, the years that they come out and they just blow them out of the water, a bitter rival of Notre Dame, 
I've been pretty confident in what they can do. Last time they played in Dublin, they smoked them. So I'm hoping for that. Uh, what year was again. that, Joe? What year was that? 2012. But we don't. We pretend that 2012 didn't happen because we all know. Oh no, we, we pretend that 12 game. games in 2012 happened very much. We just don't pretend <laughs> the last game in 2012 happened. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Out of my out of my memory. Uh, at Joe DeLeon, at Sims Complete QB, at Rising Draft, folks. We appreciate you tuning in as always. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that we've got upcoming this season. We're going to do a lot of in-depth analysis on some of the top players that have big games um, from any level of football. So make sure you're tuned in so we don't you don't miss out on any of that. We'll be back, folks. Enjoy week zero. Football is officially back. No more having. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.